we're in the second week of this extended um, Advent series, which we, we're linking into It's a Wonderful Life. And um, it's linking into the study material that, that you're using as well. Last week, I really didn't have uh, or didn't make any reference to the film, as, it, as most of you hadn't seen it, and it didn't seem fair to kind of spoil it for you until you'd had the opportunity. But now you know the story and how it ends, so hopefully that's not a problem for anybody. And last week, the focus, our focus of the message was interruptions. And in the film, we see how George's life is interrupted by a series of events that seemingly get in the way of him doing what he really wants to do, what his dreams were. We know that he, he rescues his brother from drowning, he prevents the accident or poisoning of a child, he gives up his plans to tour the world and to go to college when his father dies, and when his brother, who got to go off to college, returns with a fabulous job offer in his pocket, George decides to give up his dreams and stays put in Bedford Falls. And there are more events. There are other things that happen. There's the run on the bank. There's the honeymoon that he gives up. Then the setting up of the home's developments. And all in all, the story seems to be one of George overcoming interruptions and challenges and getting on with his life and with helping others. But, of course, the story opens at this point where George is contemplating taking his own life. And we're shown how an incident error, an innocent error, and the unscrupulous actions of Henry F. Potter have thrown all of this stuff up into the air. And although we know just what he's been up to and the things that he's done and how he's dealt with these challenges, we find him at a place where everything seems to have gone wrong. But through the prayers of his family and friends and the intervention of the angel Clarence, things are eventually resolved properly. And the film has its happy ending with the town rallying around George and showing him just how much he is loved and valued. Last week, as we began our journey to Christmas in this, this season, we took the time to consider just how the plans that Mary and Joseph might have had were interrupted as God revealed the plans that he had for them. And for us, the question really was, how do we deal with the interruptions in our lives? Do we try to resolve them in our own strengths, in our own wisdom? Do we see them only as problems? Do we bring them before God first? Do we seek to understand them within his providence and his purposes? And so that was our theme, was interruptions. And this week, our theme is value. We're thinking about value. Our passage from the Bible that we heard this morning tells us about the good news being proclaimed to shepherds. And the simple question we always end up asking at this time of the year is, why? Why the shepherds? Well, this passage isn't simply about God's love for a few shepherds sitting on a hill outside Bethlehem, but rather it's about God's love for all of us. It's a message about the value that each one of us has in God's eyes. But let's just think about those shepherds for a moment. Fortunately, Marianne didn't steal any of my observations. It's always a risk when you've got a youth worker, you know. 
Shepherds, perhaps one of the oldest professions in the world. If we think about it, Adam was charged with dominion over all animals. You could say he was a shepherd. Abel was the keeper of sheep. Jacob and his sons looked after sheep. Moses looked after sheep. David looked after sheep. These men who play such a crucial part in God's great story are a bit of a ragtag bunch of shepherds. But what do we know of shepherds? Well, what we know of them at the time is this, that they were uneducated. They were seen as smelly, probably, most of the time. Low-class people. Social and religious outcasts. They lived all their time out in the pastures with the sheep. They were considered to be untrustworthy, often uh, pointed at as being thieves or the people that would get into trouble. They were not permitted to give testimony in any legal proceedings. Perhaps they were suspicious as other people, as much as other people were suspicious of them. They didn't have much exposure to people because of always living in the fields. They were unable to participate fully in the religious life of their community because they were considered to be unclean. And so, when we reflect on that reality of who they were and their standing in society, we might think that they would have been the very last people that God would notice. So really, why the shepherds? Why did the shepherds receive this announcement of the Christ child? Why was it that the shepherds received an invitation to go and see Jesus? Why not the famous why not the religious leaders, the priests, the Pharisees, the rabbis, the generals or the senators, the wealthy merchants, the heads of the Jewish council, people of distinction and importance? Why not them? Here we are in the midst of a general election and each of the parties will have got a team together of people working out very carefully who their party leaders and their key personalities should be talking to. They'll be working out who their, their target audience is. Who do they need to win over? Who needs to hear what and from whom? They'll have carefully worked it out. And still we won't know what on earth they're on about. And we might think that as far as campaigning strategies go, this one of God's misses the mark somewhat. Shepherds? Surely he should have been speaking to much more important people to get his message over the good news. So what are the reasons for it being the shepherds then? Well, fortunately, I think the reason it's the shepherds is this. It's because God's way is not the world's way. And that's a really amazing and important, fabulous truth to hold on to. God's way isn't the way of the world. He doesn't do things the way the world does. He doesn't do things the way we expect him to. In inviting the shepherds, what God does is he shows that his love doesn't discriminate. His love isn't measured or driven by class or wealth or social standing. These things are not important to God. 
In inviting the shepherds, God shows us that he has no favoritism. His love is available to everybody. And this really all flies in the face of worldly behaviors and attitudes then and sadly still today. Class, wealth, social standing, which school you went to, where you come from, and sadly, still in the 21st century, the color of your skin, they matter in this world. They impact on your apparent worth or importance or value. It really shouldn't be true, but sadly it is still today. The invitation that God gave was given to the shepherds to show that Jesus was not only going to be for kings and governors and the powerful and the wealthy, but for all people equally. Inviting the shepherds to be the first to meet the Christ child showed that they were special to God. They were as special to God as you and I are. Because in God's eyes, we're all special. The very thing that made them special was that they weren't special. They were just children of God. Even though they were not beautiful people, even though they lived on the fringes of society, unable to go to the temple to make sacrifices, even though they didn't fit in, these simple shepherds, these simple shepherds who did what God commanded, who did what God commanded without having to go and check it out with somebody else first, just to make sure that they got it right, they went and they saw and they worshipped and then they went and told everybody else. They did exactly what God told them to do. And indeed, what God knew they would do, because he knew them, because they were special to him. It got me wondering, how long would it have taken the Pharisees or the Jewish council or the leaders to decide what to do if the angels had appeared to them? I imagine that like a lot of organisations, they'd have had a meeting. First, probably to arrange when the next meeting was going to be, to see if it fitted in with their plans, or if they could squeeze it into the timetable, maybe. And then they would have had to decide, well, who should go? Who would be the right person to send? And what should they wear? And by the time they'd have come to a decision, it would have all been and gone. Anyway... The story of the angels visiting the shepherds reminds us this. Our worth is found in God's eyes. Not in the eyes of anybody else, however important they think they are or however unimportant they think we are. I guess that in the film, George has gotten himself to a point where he can't see his value anymore. In fact, he's gotten to a point where he thinks he's in, I suppose, negative value. He thought that, the, that he wasn't worth anything to anybody and that the best thing he could do was end his life. He couldn't see value. 
And so we're told that Clarence, the angel, turns up and he shows George the value that his life has had to the people that he cares about most and how different things would have been if he hadn't been around. And finally, having been convinced by what he's seen, George abandons his plans to kill himself and he goes home where he finds that the town has gathered at his home to show their support and their gratefulness to George. The worth and the value of his life is clear to everybody. Now, there are some clear difficulties in, in trying to take what happens to George in this film and comparing it exactly to what happens to the shepherds. But the point I want us to hang on to is this value. What are you worth? Let's just go back to those shepherds a moment. What do you think they felt at that moment? What do you think their instant reaction was when the angels appear and they tell them this news on what to do? What do, you, what do you think their reaction was? Surprise? Scared? Fear? Shock? Doubt, maybe? Can it be us? Really? Why would it be us? Who's going to look after the sheep if we go? What did Austin put in that wine last night? I can imagine that their initial reaction, because of how the world viewed them, and perhaps how they viewed themselves, would have been one that doubted, that, that looked for reasons why it was wrong, and they could have just ignored it. But something moved in them that they did what the angels told them. I read an article recently that said that when people have been asked who they most associate with from the nativity story, most commonly they say the shepherds. Now, I'm not really sure whether this is true because I've tried it on a few people and nobody has said the shepherds. So here we go. If you most associate with Mary in the story, put your hand up for me. Okay, so none of you see you see yourselves as the mother of the Son of God. That's okay. Joseph, you don't have to wait and put your hands up for the shepherds just to prove a point or anything. We've got a shepherd, a uh, uh, Joseph. Okay, uh, the innkeeper or the innkeeper's wife. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the wise men. <laughs> Yeah, okay, Becky, fair enough. Yeah. Shepherds? Of course, Austin would. Nobody at all? Or you could associate with Jesus if you want to, but... I don't know. Maybe something to take away this week and just reflect on. Who in this story do I find myself associating with? Who do I find myself sort of feeling I've got something in common with. As I think about it, I think perhaps it is the shepherds that we should associate with most. Because perhaps we can relate to those people who are not in the in crowd, who are not the wealthy and the fabulous and the important. 
Perhaps because we can understand that we don't have to be geniuses or rabbis or rich or famous to be important to God. And one of the things that strikes me about the angels appearing to the shepherds is that it happens when they're just getting on with their daily lives. They're just doing what they do. And it made me think that's really what Jesus is all about. He's about God meeting us in our daily lives, just doing what we do. Meeting us in the ordinary. God coming to us in the everyday routines. God coming, yes, at Christmas when we focus more on his birth than the rest of the year, but in truth, it's a story about God coming to us every day of the year in the ordinary day-by-day things that we do and that we try and work through. God meeting us in the ordinary, meeting us in our pains and our frustrations, meeting us in our loneliness and our anger, meeting us in our joy and our celebrations. He meets us where we are and he says, you are the most valuable person to me. You have complete value in my eyes. No matter what anybody else says, no matter what you think of yourself, you are the most important, most valuable person in the world. Don't get too big-headed because everybody else is too, but it doesn't diminish just how special you are to God. God says you've got value and you are worth everything that it took to make sure that you know and understand your value. God's calling on the shepherds that day, that night, with the good news, is hugely important to me and to you. It's hugely important to the people of the world who still need to know and to hear properly the good news of Jesus. And the message is quite simple. The good news is really very clear. The Christ child, the Messiah, this saviour who was proclaimed to those shepherds on that hillside 2,019 years ago, He's for you. He's for each one of us. He's for everybody. No matter who you are, where you come from, what you're doing, what you feel about yourself, he's for you. 